History is littered with people who failed to see glory when it's been standing right in front of their faces. Let me take you to January 1933. That's even before I was born. There was a man being assessed by a talent scout at a screen test for a movie for the movie giant MGM. Uh, and after the talent scout watched and listened, the talent scout said this about the young man. Can't act, can't sing, slightly bald, not handsome, can dance a little. The man in question? Red stare. Now, at the morning service and church, uh, morning services in church before, I said, "Who knows who this is? Who doesn't know who this is?" I think here I need to ask, "Who actually knows who Fred Astaire is?" Oh, more than I thought. There you go. Um, for those of you significantly younger than everybody else who put up their hands, um, he was a man who actually ended up dancing and singing and acting. He could do more than just. He was just amazing. He really changed the industry. Uh, Ten Broadway musicals. 30, 31 musical films, all over a period of 76 years. A legend of the industry he was. Here's another one. Hopefully this one might be a little bit more familiar, but we're going to 1965 now. There's a 19-year-old wannabe film director applying to the University of Southern California, their film school. He was rejected. Why? Because his grades just weren't good enough. He submitted the films he had made and directed and produced as a teenager beforehand, which were quite, quite impressive, but still not good enough. He was rejected again three times in total. The young man's name? Steven Spielberg. Who doesn't know Steven Spielberg? Who that is? One. Wow, Naomi, we need to talk later. Uh, think Jaws. Um, think Raiders of the Lost Ark. And Naomi's still shaking her head. But anyway, we do need to talk. Um, an amazing, music, uh, amazing movie director. Famous talents of famous people went initially unnoticed. Their impressive talent finally would be revealed for the talent that it was, but in the beginning they were just dismissed as ordinary, as mediocre. Today, we once again step into John's account of Jesus' death. We walk with him through his terrible torture as John takes us through it, his rejection, all leading up to the terror, the horror, the wonder, the glory of the cross. In the events we look through today, again and again, we see people come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ and fail to see the glory in that man. God the Son, the creator of the universe, God's chosen and forever king, standing before them, and they missed it. But the soldiers, the Pilate and the Jews, again and again, fail to see God's chosen forever king. Those who might have been casually observing that day, maybe all they saw was just another hapless victim of the Roman power machine together with the religious leaders. But if that's all they saw, then they would have missed the wonder and the glory of actually what was going on that day. God was working his eternal purposes out, revealing himself in all his glory through the willful actions of evil men and women. That's what was actually happening. And they missed it. 
Today, I hope and pray you'll get a bigger picture of this glorious God who was revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And I challenge you to think through what it might mean to honour him as your God. So let's pick up the story where we left things last Sunday. Last Sunday, Jesus was rejected by his own people, the Jews, who wanted a known revolutionary, Barabbas, to be released instead of their king. And this key element of Jesus' identity, Jesus the King, just continues to roll through chapter 19. I hope you saw that. The identity of Jesus being God's chosen King just keeps coming up. And after failing to release Jesus, because Pilate wants to, Pilate decides, verse 1, to have Jesus flogged. And in this flogging, we meet the soldiers. Soldiers trained experts at torture and they mock the kingship of Jesus. The claim of Jesus to be a king is a source of ridicule for them. They mock him. They're not afraid of Jesus at all. They think his claim to be a king is just a farce, completely empty. And so they dress him in purple, the colour of royalty, and they hastily turn a, a, a thorn, some thorns from a thorn bush nearby into a crown, and they shove it on his head, and they pay him mock homage. Hail, King of the Jews, they say, and they drop to their knees in ridicule and strike him across the face again and again and again. What a way to treat God's one and only Son. Have a look at these words as they speak of God's Son in Psalm 2. You are my Son. Today I have become your Father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Kiss the Son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Imagine if the soldiers could see who it was they were actually treating with such contempt. If they knew that before them was God's chosen, powerful, forever king that they need to tremble before, not mock and strike and torture. If only they knew they would kiss the sun, they would fear his anger. But then, if they knew, he'd never have died. Hail, King of the Jews, they shout in mockery, so little do they know. Not only is he the King of the Jews, he is their King too. The soldiers are so caught up in their everyday work, because that's what it was for them. And they fail to recognise that Jesus really is the King of an eternal kingdom, and he's standing before them. And they mock him. So the soldiers bring the tortured and bloody Jesus back to Pilate. Pilate's hoping that after this beating, looking at this sad and sorry figure, the Jews would actually finally agree with Pilate to let Jesus go free. Here is the man, Pilate calls out to the crowd. By this he simply means, here is the one you say claims to be a king. Well, look at him. Look at how weak he is. He's no threat to me. He's no threat to Rome. He's pathetic. He's powerless. But Paul's completely unaware of the profound truth that he actually speaks. Here is the man. Here is God come in the flesh. 
Here is the one truly in the image of God, in the likeness of God. When we see this man, we see God in all his glory. Jesus, in John chapter 1, the word become flesh. God the Son, he really is the man. But for the crowd, they don't see that. They just see a beaten man, a broken man, a man they want dead. Crucify, crucify, they call out. And then in response to Pilate's insistence that he is innocent, the Jews make crystal clear what's at issue here. Verse 7, you can see it there. We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. Again, we see this kingship of Jesus come out. The Son of God, that's a kingly title. Jesus claimed to be God's one and only Son. He claimed to be one with the Father in eternal relationship with him. And if Jesus is wrong about what he claims about himself, then the Jews are right in saying that he's committing the sin of blasphemy and, according to the law, is worthy of the penalty of death. And so when they see Jesus whipped and beaten and weak, for them it confirms that he can't be their king, and so he must die. But when Pilate hears this claim, that Jesus claims to be the Son of God, verse 8, he's afraid. He's more afraid. Why? It's because of this claim to be the Son of God. That's what triggers Pilate. The Romans were spiritually superstitious, and this claim to be a Son of God seems to spook Pilate. And he wonders exactly who this is that is standing in front of him. Was he a man endowed with divine power? In some way, as the Romans believed was possible, a man with connections with the gods, and he's just tortured him, and he's afraid. And so he again pulls Jesus back into the palace to speak with him in private. Where are you from? He really wants to know, but Jesus will not be drawn into this one. He's silent, and Pilate can't believe that he's silent. People on death row, with the opportunity to plead their innocence, to escape crucifixion, are never silent. But Jesus is. And Pilate is gobsmacked. And so he reminds Jesus, listen, I've got the authority to release you, and I've got the authority to crucify you. And then finally Jesus speaks in verse 11. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. So Pilate thinks he's in control, but Jesus says, you're not in control. In these words, we see the truth about what is going on in these events. God the Father is working his purposes out. He's placed Pilate in this position, given him authority. God is in control, not Pilate. And his purposes, God's purposes, God's will, will be done. Now we'll come back to that deep truth, because it is a deep truth soon. But let's continue on walking with Jesus through this. Pilate, verse 12, tries once more to release Jesus and fails again. So he sits on the judgment seat. He hands Jesus over to be crucified, despite the fact that Pilate knows he's innocent. Pilate could only see who it was that was standing in front of him. And that one day, Pilate would stand in front of Jesus and that she would be on the other foot. One day, 
He would stand before Jesus with all the guilt of his sin, of every day of his life, laid before Jesus' feet. If only he knew that. But you know what? If he did, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And our sins would not be forgiven. While Pilate seems afraid that, well, he is afraid when he hears that Jesus claims to be the Son of God, ultimately his final assessment is, well, Jesus isn't worth the trouble it might cause me to set him free, so I'll hand him over to die. In the end, Jesus to Pilate is just a passing nobody. Pilate's too absorbed in his own power, in his own life, to seriously consider who it is that's standing in front of him. And so the judge hands the judge of the whole universe over to be crucified. Which brings us to the leaders of the Jews. Determined to have Jesus killed, offended by his claim to be the Son of God, to be the divine Son of God. Again and again, Pilate proclaims Jesus' innocence. And again and again, they call out, crucify, crucify. Away with him, they say. When Pilate comes out a third time seeking to release Jesus, the crowd shout out to Pilate, verse 12, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. This is a very thinly veiled threat by the leaders of the Jews. They're saying, if you let Jesus go free, if you don't give us what we want, then things will be difficult for you. Jewish festivals were times of heightened national identity for Israel and Pilate was charged with ensuring that his jurisdiction was marked with peace. It was important to the Roman rulers, to the emperor. And the Jews had a history of uprising and rebellion, particularly in festivals. And so Pilate makes clear he's about to make his judgment. He sits on the judgment seat. Here is your king. He says, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Then comes the words more true than they realise. We have no king but Caesar. These words encapsulate the very heart of the sin of God's people, Israel, their rejection of God as their king. At the end of the book of Judges, a book that's littered with the idolatrous and and murderous evil heart of God's people, Israel, we read these words, they'll come up on the screen, from the end of Judges, the very last verse. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Then just a few generations on, the Jews demand to have a king, a king just like the nations around them, and God says these words to his prophet Samuel. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. All through Israel's history... They have rejected God, rejected his words, rejected his prophets, rejected his warnings. Worshipping other gods that let them live the way that they want to. And what's happening in John 19 is the culmination of the sin of God's people Israel. They commit high treason against their God who saved them, who reveals himself to them. 
They reject Jesus, God's chosen king. They reject God as their king as they do that. They stand in direct opposition to him. To reject the son is to reject the father. And so Pilate, the Gentile ruler, with hands tied by the threats of the Jews, conspires with the Jews to kill the author of life, God's chosen and eternal king. The leaders of the Jews, the leaders of the Gentiles, working together to kill the Son of God, rejecting the authority of God's one and only Son. What we have in these verses is the whole of humanity reaching the pinnacle of their sin in their rejection of God in his Son. There's still more going on in these verses. Everyone involved in these events, the soldiers, Pilate, the Jewish leaders, they failed to see who Jesus was. They failed to see they were rejecting God's kingship, God's chosen king and judge. What they also failed to see was that what they were doing was bringing about the fulfilment of God's plans and purposes that he had planned before the beginning of time. What was unfolding in the injustice and the evil of these events is nothing short of God revealing himself in all the wonder of his glory. Go back to verse 11. Let's go back there. Pilate said to Jesus that he needed to remember that he had the power to release him and the power to crucify him. And in response to this, Jesus says these words, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of greater sin. This is Jesus' only words in these 16 verses that we're looking at tonight. And they're key to understanding what's going on. Pilate thinks he's in control. Jesus clearly says, Pilate, you're not in control. God's in control. My father's in control. And I will obey him. The Father is fulfilling all his plans and purposes down the ages, and Pilate had no idea. How did the Father accomplish this great work of salvation and revelation through the willful, evil actions of rebellious Jews and Gentiles? That's how he did it. Just over 50 days from these events that we read through this day, the Apostle Peter is in the temple precincts and he heals a lame man. So it's not far from where all these events take place. The crowd gathered once again to find out what was going on. Peter said these words, they'll come up on the screen again. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. What a massive statement that is, isn't it? You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Then verse 17, Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying the Messiah would suffer. How did God fulfill his promises to bring about salvation in Jesus? Through the ignorant, willful, evil acts of people. That's how he did it. Now that doesn't mean that Pilate and the soldiers and the Jews are free from guilt. Absolutely not. 
They meant what they did. No, Jesus clearly says they're guilty of these terrible acts. But this is how God fulfills his plans and purposes. God is at work through the events of that terrible day to bring glory to his son, bringing him to his crowning glorious moment when he saves rebellious humanity through his willing obedience and death on the cross. The Father is at work to bring about the salvation of the world through the obedient sacrifice of his son. At the core, this is not a moment of shame and sorrow. This is the pinnacle of God's revelation of himself, of who he is. The cross is the work of the Father and the Son and reveals the glory of God to a world that so desperately needs to know him. That's what's happening as we read through these events. Here we see the wonder of how God works sovereignly through the willful, evil acts of men and women to fulfil his great and powerful work. Here we see the deep patience of God The wonder that God would forgive the ignorant, foolish, evil acts of rebellious humanity as he dies for those who kill him. That they might be forgiven and be part of God's kingdom. Here we see the kindness of God as he allows humanity to kill his son to bring about his purposes. Is this the God that you believe in? That we see in this chapter? In these chapters, the soldiers mocked God's chosen king. They rejected Jesus because they were so caught up in their everyday work, because that's what it was for them. They failed to recognise that God's great king was the one that they mocked. For Pilate, in the end, Jesus was a passing nobody, really. Irrelevant to his life. Pilate's too absorbed in his own power, in his own life, to seriously consider the identity of the person standing in front of him. For the Jewish leaders, Jesus is not the king that they were expecting. They wanted. He's a threat to their life. He's a threat to their authority. The way we treat God's king is the way we treat God. When the soldiers and Pilate and the Jewish leaders rejected Jesus, they were rejecting his father who sent him. In the end, all of them reject Jesus because he isn't the king that they were expecting and wanted to see. Ultimately, that's the reason why. They've got their own understanding of God they want to believe in and the king they wanted God to send, and Jesus doesn't meet that expectation, and so they dismiss him, and they reject him, and they kill him. We look at Pilate and the Jewish leaders and the soldiers and think, how how could they do that? How could they miss it? But do we reject God's king because he doesn't match what I want him to be like? Am I too busy in my own world, ruling my own life? Is God someone I think is irrelevant to the way I live my life? I want to get on with my life. Do we reject God because we don't want him to be king? If that's us, then we're no different to the people we meet in this chapter. Same sin. And all of us, let's be true, all of us have been guilty of that. No one would have guessed that God would reveal himself at the cross. It didn't look glorious. You know, the all-powerful, the all-present, the all-knowing, sovereign God revealing himself in the foolish and the weak and the apparent defeat of the cross. 
Amazing, isn't it? But that's the wisdom, that's the power, that's the glory of God in the crucified Christ. The glory of God is seen in the cross. Is the God you believe in that big? Is the God that you believe in that big? One who works through evil acts of evil men to bring about his plans and purposes to save a lost humanity and to save you. Do you recognise your God, your King, in this tortured, dying, rejected Jesus? Or is your God smaller than that? Do we only listen to God when he says what I want him to say? What I'd like him to say? Am I willing to accept him as he is and accept that following him will mean that the world will treat us in much the same way that the world treated him? Jesus said these words. I actually want you to turn up to this one. John 15. John 15, 18 to 21. This is the night before Jesus died. Let's look at these words to his disciples. John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. See, when we're reading through this account of Jesus, the day of his death, those profound words to listen to, aren't they? We think about what it means to follow him. Will you trust this God? Is it work through the willful evil of human beings? Will you trust him as you stumble and struggle to honour him as your king, as we all do, those of us who trust him? Will you stand with your king, who stood alone for you, who suffered for you, who revealed God for you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son. And Lord Jesus, we thank and praise you for the price that you paid. As we walk with John and just see the horror of that day, Father, help us to see the glory of that day too. What it says about you, that you are the great and patient and forgiving, loving, compassionate, powerful God, working through the willful acts of evil people to bring about your eternal purposes. We praise you that you are the great and sovereign God. Father, help us to be people who trust you. Help us to be like Jesus, your son. Help us to be willing to stand with him who stood alone for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.